This is Wyman and Bob on Seattle Sports, powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Streaming live on the Seattle Sports app and at seattlesports.com. Now, here are your hosts, Dave Wyman and Bob Stelton. Well, we are just right around the corner from the time we'll be stepping foot out there in Arizona to watch this Mariner team, and I know a man who cannot wait to get out there. In fact, I'm wondering when he's, why he's in Seattle right now. He's speaking with us on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline, the voice of your Seattle Mariners, the legend that is the great Rick Riz. How are you, my friend? Hey, Bobby, I'm doing fine. I can't wait to get down to Peoria here in the next few days. They're going to leave Tuesday morning, see that sunshine, feel that warmth, watch the guys get ready, and everything is right with the world when we get down there. Oh, man, I just I, I feel like I at the at the end of the season, you're ready for a break. It's been a long season, yeah. but I, fe- I feel like I'm curious if you feel this as the years go on. I get more and more anxious for the next season. It yeah. doesn't it, ta- it takes a, it's a shorter amount of time where I'm starting to go. Man, I wish it was baseball season. Do you get like that? Oh yeah, it's it's like feast or famine. You're going every day for seven months out of the year, starting at spring training, the regular season. Hopefully, in the postseason in October, like we were a few seasons ago, when Cal Raleigh hit that home run, they're going to get back there again. But uh, and then you you have to recharge your batteries. You get some time off, and then after the holidays, uh, after Thanksgiving, after the Christmas holidays. Then you're ready to go again. You're starting to hear a lot of information about the team, especially your club getting ready. I like what Jerry DePoto and, and Justin Hollander have done. And then then the juices really are flowing, and you can't wait to get down in the sunshine and, and watch the new team come together. And uh, you get excited for a brand new year. And this is my 50th year in baseball, eight years in the minor yeah. leagues, my 42nd year in the big leagues. And so it just goes from one season to another, the regular season to the off season, and you can't wait to get back to work. Wow, 50 years in the game, unbelievable, which yeah. is amazing because you're only 55. So That's you started true, I as started a when I was five, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, eight years in the minor leagues, oh my goodness. 39th year here, and then three with the Detroit Tigers. Amazing. Well, is, is there somebody or something you're looking forward to most that you're curious about? Maybe you're curious about one of the new players, or you want to see how Brian Wu and Bryce Miller have advanced, or maybe Ty Fran. Is there something at the front of your mind going in? Yeah, you know, the pitching staff is, I think, as you know, one of the best in all of baseball, you know, with Luis Castillo at the front of the list there. And then you have Logan Gilbert and George Kirby. These guys have really been outstanding. And then you throw in Bryce Miller, who was nothing short of historic his first four or five starts of the year. Brian Wu had some great outings, you know, at the in the second half of the season. The bullpen, Munoz, Brash, the newcomer, and, and Santos. But I, I just want to see how the ball club plays offensively. Uh, that's where they needed to improve. Jerry did that with the addition of Luke Rayleigh coming over from Tampa Bay with bringing Mitch Hanniger back. Uh, it was only a handful of years ago that he had 39 home runs and drove in 100. Jorge Polanco, you know, at second base, who a few years ago was an all-star, switch hitter, could hit with power, can drive in runs. And uh, Luis Urias over at uh, third base. And then, of course, Rojas and Canzone who came over at the trade deadline last year. So I want to see the makeup of the offense, putting the ball in play more often, you know, mixing in base hits to drive in more runs, keep the innings going, adding more pitchers to a starting pitcher to get him out of the game a little bit earlier. So uh, I'm look, I'm I'm ready to take a look at all the guys, uh, but also, uh, you know, to see what's next for Julio Rodriguez. 
I mean, this kid had the slow start last year. He still was one of the best players in all of baseball, and he's so exciting to watch offensively, defensively, the way that he runs the bases, the joy that he plays with. Uh, J.P. Crawford, to build on uh, his best year in the big leagues, he was the really uh, the captain of this ball club, and I thought the MVP of the team last year, the way that he's really grown. I want to see a bounce back here from Ty France. He's too good of a hitter to have the season he had last year, but he's had to kind of power through some injuries you know, the last few seasons as well. I think this guy is a 300 hitter. So I, I can't wait to see not only just one guy, but the way the offense comes together and, and scores runs this year. And then what's always fun for me, Bobby, is going down to lower fields uh, during the early part of spring and seeing the kids because this organization, this farm system is still so very talented. Harry Ford's on the way, Emerson Hancock, uh, the kids that they signed at 16, 17 years of age, last yeah. year so uh it's a great pipeline and, and the organization has done a super job yeah you know I, I give jerry a lot of credit for what he was given to work with i mean mm-hmm. it's been made pretty public that the the budget is not what they anticipated it being because of uh, the xfinity deal and all of that stuff so considering that they had less money to work with than they were going into the offseason thinking i think they did well and you yeah. look at the lineup and i'm with you I, I, i've got a level of optimism about this lineup my only hang up is you know, with three of these guys, you know, with Hanniger, with Garver and Polanco, you look at all three and go, man, they're good if healthy, exactly. if healthy. I mean, yeah. this is we know Mitch's story. He's got to be one of the unluckiest players I've ever seen. Uh, Garver's dealt with injuries. Polanco, I, I know it's not unique to the Mariners, but it feels like we're counting on a number of guys. Unfortunately, that, that that's been a big part of their story. Yeah, you're looking for a bounce back season. Mitch hasn't played that much the last couple of years. You know, a few years ago with the Mariners and with the Giants last year. But when he's healthy, and uh, hopefully he will be all season long, you know what you got. You got a leader on the ball club. He plays very well defensively in the corner spot, right field, left field. So, uh, you know, every ball club, that's the goal. Coming out of spring training, come out of spring training healthy and stay healthy during the course of the year. I'm glad you brought up Mitch Garver uh, because this guy helped the Texas Rangers to a World Series title last year. And now the Mariners have a DH. They've got a designated hitter, the first one on an everyday kind of basis, you know, since, uh, you know, Nelson Cruz. So uh, I think they've really improved themselves in that DH spot where they didn't get much production at the second base spot, which really was kind of tough the last uh, few years. So that's why I I think Jerry DePoto and and Justin Hollander did a heck of a job to reshape, uh, you know, that part of the ball club, the offense. How, how do you feel about platoon situations? Uh, Shannon and I got into a debate about this, and until they got Polanco, you had four spots that you were looking at potential platoons. Yeah. You were looking at second, third, and then the corner outfield spots. Now yeah. you've, you've you've got presumably your everyday second baseman in Polanco, right. uh, and then we'll see Urias and 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 uh, Rojas at third, and see the platoons out there. Is that are you comfortable with that? Or to me, I look at it and go, okay, if it's at one spot. I can live with it, but right. when you've got three or four spots that tell me you don't have your everyday guy there, and you I don't, don't feel awesome guy. about that. How do you, how do you yeah. feel about the platoon situation? Yeah, well, this number one is way above my pay grade, but <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not a big platoon guy unless it works for a club that can move in guys and move out to rest them during the course of the year. I like the DH having one guy there all season long. He kind yeah. of worked for Edgar Martinez, you know, oh, yeah. and, you know, yeah, he got right. himself to Hall of Fame because that guy does one thing very, very well, and that's hit. And you have to be in that lineup every day. You want that guy in there every day, like Edgar and Nelson Cruz 
And I think the Mariners are going to have that now with Mitch Garber, and then he can help out at first base, probably catch once in a while, give Cal the day off. He got Sebi Zavala as well to back up. But uh, I'm not a big platoon guy unless it works. If if there's one spot, you know, uh, I I think uh, I'd be okay with that, obviously. But, um, you know, if you have the versatility and the guys can handle that, then then it's fine. You know, the, the, the one area I felt like this team has, has really crushed it over the years is when they bring in a, somebody to the bullpen. And it'll be oh, often somebody you yeah. haven't even heard of. I remember yeah. the day we talked to Paul Seawald. We're going, right. who's this guy? He washed out with the Mets. He's a little older. He got called up with Logan Gilbert and Jared Kelnick. We're like, okay, we'll see what they do with him. He becomes your, your ace. He becomes <laughs> he becomes your closer. And they did that with Topa. Who's, Topa? who's Justin yeah. Topa? So, right. you know, there was concern about the bullpen coming in, but they They've been so adept at, at finding those arms that I feel like no matter what name I hear, how unfamiliar I am with them, I'm just like, yeah, they're going to be somebody that they turn into somebody they can rely on. Is, is that How do you view what they've done with the bullpen over the years? I mean, it, I think it's been unbelievable what they've done with the pitching to be able to recognize you know, a young pitcher, what he can do and what he can't do. I'll take, for instance, and there's a lot of stories like Brian Wu, this guy had uh, Tommy John surgery in college at Cal Poly State University and was a sixth-round pick, hardly pitched at all uh, when the Mariners uh, drafted him in the sixth round a few years ago. But here's Max Weiner, who's our pitching strategist at the time, down in the minor leagues, and he said, you know what, I think you need to throw a two-seamer. You know, he's got the four-seamer, he's got the slider, he's splitter, you know, the sweeper now, that new pitch, or they call it basically as a slider. But we want you to add this. So I talked to him the other day, and he started throwing it, and all, all of a sudden it, it changed his career. It got him to the big leagues, and he had a heck of a rookie season last year. But the organization is so good at recognizing a guy, a pitcher, to reshape a pitch a little bit more uh, and to add a pitch here or there or eliminate this pitcher, and they, they can sit down with the information that they have, and uh, the baseball analytics people are just amazing, they say, okay, they're hitting your curveball at, uh, you know, 320, but their slider, they're only hitting 118. What do you say we throw that a little bit more? You know, your forcing fastball up works here, but they're starting to get to it. Why don't we do this? So they have great suggestions, and they find these guys. Gabe Spire was amazing last year you know, mm-hmm. out of the bullpen as a left-hander coming in and throwing first pitch strikes. And there's a mantra, you know, uh, you know, control the zone. First pitch strikes are the best in baseball. That's the best pitch in baseball. And Taylor Saucedo, and it goes on and on and on. And they've had this track record, not just last year, but for many years right now, recognizing what a guy can do, what they can add to it, add to a pitch or reshape a pitch, and the amount to throw certain pitches in certain situations against certain guys. They've got all that information, and they do as great a job at that as any club, I think, in baseball. Hey, you know, something unique this year is they've got an offensive coordinator, which is a term we hear in football, exactly. not one I, yeah. not, not right one now. you hear in baseball. At least I haven't before this year, right. but they've got that. And I'm wondering how different the offense may look. I mean, I know we're speculating because we haven't seen it, but – I don't know if, if if Rick Riz were the offensive coordinator, what would you do? Would you would you play more small ball? Would you be station to station guy? Would you try to how how would you change the offense from what it's been the past few seasons? I I have looked at all the great hitters in the game of baseball, and they change during the at bat. You know, we've seen so many of uh, 
major league hitters, and not just the Mariners, swing really hard, trying to go for exit velocity, trying to go for, you know, hit the ball a long way, where I want to see more contact. I want to see guys cut down on their swing with two strikes and hit the ball the other way. Put the ball in play. Cut down on your strikeouts. And when you put the ball in play, good things happen. You don't go back to the dugout. I saw some wild swings from guys early in the season, but then when they force pitchers to throw them a strike, throw a strike in the strike zone, that's when you do damage. And if they don't on a 3-2 pitch and it's outside, take it, take the walk, more pressure on the pitcher, more pressure on the catcher, and now you let the next guy behind you you know, do his thing. So that's what I want to see. I want to see more contact, longer innings, and I don't care if it's a bloop, duck, fart, base hit into shallow right field with the bases loaded. <laughs> as long as it hits a patch of grass out there and two runs score, uh, I, I, I love home runs. I love home runs. I love to see a 450-foot home run. But as long as it goes over the fence, they count. And I just want to see these guys put the ball in play more often, run around the bases, have big innings, and put the pressure on the other team. So that's what I want to see. And I, you, you want to see them make adjustments during the at-bat. You know, Harold Reynolds said uh, a long time ago, I've got four at-bats in a game. Two belong to me. Two belong to the ball club. You know, and and Mm. what he was saying, let's run around at second base, nobody out, hit a ground ball to the right side of the infield, you know, and moving along to third. Runner at third with less than two outs, get the ball in the air and score that run. You know, cut down on your swing and go for more contact. And uh, like I said, Edgar Martinez was the best uh, with two strikes. All he was trying to do when he had the biggest hit in the history of our franchise was to score Joey Cora from third base with a sacrifice fly. But he was looking for the fork ball from Jack McDowell. He got it, hit that line drive down the left field line. Not only uh, Joey scored, but Junior scored from first base with the biggest hit of our franchise, with the biggest win in our franchise. Junior scoring the biggest run, Edgar with the biggest hit. He was just trying to win the game. He wasn't trying to hit a home run. And the double turned out to be the biggest hit in the history of this franchise. So I can't wait to see what the offense looks like and how it, you know, trickles down to every guy in that lineup, one through nine. J.P. Crawford last year was amazing. I loved watching yeah. his at-bats because he ground, grinded out every at-bat just like Edgar did. He never gave up one at-bat and during the entire season. He fouled away tough pitches, put the ball in play, you know, with two strikes. Didn't strike out very often. He was great in that leadoff spot. And uh, so when you have guys that have at-bats like that, then you throw in Julio Rodriguez, who can do so much damage, and he can hit the ball out the other way. You know, uh, that's that's what I want to see. I want to see more contact and guys running around the bases, having fun, scoring runs. How much do you think, Grizz, they've closed the gap between themselves, the Mariners as a team, and the Astros and Rangers, last year's World Series winners? I think they definitely got better, you know, and now Texas, uh, they haven't signed uh, Jordan Montgomery yet. So if they don't, you know, that's going to be, you know, tough on them in that starting rotation. Uh, Scherzer and uh, Jacob DeGrom won't be back for a long time. Uh, Houston, uh, Justin Verlander is a little hurt right now. They're always going to be tough, you know, with that lineup. So I think the Mariners have closed, definitely have closed the gap. I mean, at the end of last year, with the ball club that they had, I think with about four or five games left to play, Bob, you know, all three teams were separated, I think, by by about a game and a half or two games. Yeah. You know, that's how close it was last year with an offense that really struggled, but the pitching is so good. 
you know, with that starting rotation, with the guys down to the bullpen, they just have to figure out a way to score more runs, putting the ball in play, and I think they have a chance to win this division. Hey, last one before I let you go. And, you know, as a guy like yourself that's watched this game as long as you have, watching what the Dodgers have done in free agency to bring Otani over, to bring Yamamoto over, to spend the money that they've spent. And, you know, James Paxton is there. Everybody's deferring money. Do you like that? Do you feel like this is this is great? Everybody's going to have eyes on the Dodgers or this is this is not good for the game? How do you, how do you view what the Dodgers have done in the offseason? Yeah. For years, the Yankees did that, you know, when free agency came around. George Steinbrenner spent a lot of money, you know, and won a few World Series along the way. But they haven't won in a long time. Uh, I, I take a look at the Padres, what they did last year. They brought over Xander Bogarts. Their salary was way up there. They were two games over five hundred. I look at the New York Mets. The New York Mets have the highest payroll in baseball, you yeah. know, and they were terrible last year. Of course, they lost Edwin Diaz. You know, and that was a huge loss, you know, for them. So, yes, the Dodgers went out and spent a lot of money. They acquired Tyler Glass now. They got Otani. But you still have to play the games. You still have to stay healthy. You have to have some, you know, luck there. And um, they didn't win it last year with as great a club as they had last year. So uh, it's baseball is a game where uh, you have to stay healthy. You have to get hot, stay hot throughout the course of the year. Then you get to the postseason, get to the, you know, big dance. And uh, with that pitching staff, I'll take my chances with this team, you know, as uh, against any team in baseball. Well, Riz, as always, we love talking to you. Can't wait to see you out there in Arizona and can't wait for the season to begin. You're the best, man. We love you. And uh, we'll, we'll see you soon. Thank you, Bobby. We'll see you down there in the sunshine of Peoria. I can't wait to hear the ball popping into the gloves, you know, as the guys warm up and, you know, bats hitting the balls and, uh, you know, having a good time. Everything is right with the world <laughs> when the spring comes around. There you go. The voice of your Seattle Mariners, Rick Riz. Always good to hear his voice. He's, A, he's always in a great mood. Always in a great mood. I've never, never heard him, like, angry or irritated, ever. Just always in a great mood. And, and it just it just feels like summer when I hear him talking about baseball. I'll tell you what. Hearing Rick and this weather where it's now like 50 and sunny right now, it's feeling like baseball. I'm excited. I can't wait to get down there it's because so it feels like... out right now. Uh, it's gotten a little gray. Oh, okay, good. I haven't <laughs> looked outside in a second. So uh, about an hour ago, it was sunny, and it is 50 degrees, so it feels like spring. It feels like baseball's here. I think that made it feel real. Like We see the videos from down there right now. We have that uh, good gnat sound of balls hitting gloves and bats popping and everything that happens from the backfields that uh, Rick was talking about. But yeah, hearing his voice, seeing what the weather was like these past couple of days in the middle of February, it does feel like baseball's about to be here. Uh, 206 says, tell him not to call you Bobby. He's belitt- belittling you, Bobby. tell him not to call me bobby and then this person calls me bobby i don't take it that way rick riz can call me whatever he'd like he's he's uh seattle royalty yeah it's part of the colloquial just fun nature that warmth yeah does he call you personality yeah he does actually does he yeah he calls you does he call you maddie yeah yeah Yeah. i'm maddie maddie mikey and bobby (laughs) yeah it's a baseball thing like the hockey (laughs) thing we talk about you put a y on everything that's true he does does call us all the the y at the end there yeah Or, or as Jen puts it, IE. Yeah. <laughs> she's, she's, uh, she wrote in quotes, hey, Bobby, B O B B I E. That's, that's generally the female spelling of Bobby, but that's, okay. that might be a mean text. Uh, means it's baseball season, uh, is what she said. Yeah. I, I'm excited for baseball season. I cannot wait. 
to get out there, spring training. I, I love watching the videos, seeing guys. I know Divish has posted a bunch of videos of uh, different pitchers out there. He had some of Matt Brash. He had Gabe Spire. He had, uh, who else? I think Logan Gilbert. Well, we're going to talk to a guy coming up who uh, has been throwing a little bit out there, Emerson Hancock. That's yeah. exciting to see. Had uh, three starts last year. Had suffered a bit of an injury, so they shut him down. But good to see him get out there. And he's a guy that the, there's certainly a lot of promise attached to him. And see how he fits. You know, is he is he? I know they always go in and you're competing for a spot in the rotation. But is there really a spot to compete for? Or I wonder. I wonder how they're viewing him. How how they're if they're just like yeah, we'll. Let him come out here. He'll be out here with the big club during during spring training, and then he'll we'll send him down to AAA and let him get his reps in. And yeah, I'm curious. I hadn't really thought about his role much because, well, until about a week ago, I had assumed that he wasn't going to be healthy at the start of the year. And then Shannon Dreyer said, "No, he's fine." And yeah, he was throwing a couple yeah. of days ago. So now it's like, yeah, do you have him up at some point as kind of that swing guy that you had Chris Flexen as for most of the year last season? Or is it that reserve where you're going to bank on the fact that two young starters still have never gone through a full season, might need to skip a start here or there, or those injuries pop up. Bryce Miller missed some time with that blister. Brian Wu, you always have to kind of manage a little bit. And we have talked so much about you can't anticipate the same five guys that you start the season with making every single start over an entire baseball season. Two, two seasons ago may have been the luckiest season I've ever seen. I don't know that I've seen a rotation go through an entire season and nobody misses a start. That's that's almost eerie. I mean, it just... And it ruined expectations for every other year now. Yeah, but it, I mean, just think about that. They, they didn't miss a start. I'm not saying somebody got gets injured every year, but at that time, somebody will be like, ah, oh, they're a little... They got soggy arm. You hear that one? That was a good term for a while. Arms a little soggy, so they'll skip a start. The, the throwing arm. Yeah, the they're, they're not on the injured list, but they're skipping a start. You know, I mean, it's just it's part of the game. It's a 162 game season. It's just part, you're kind of used to hearing that at some point, and for them to have that year where nobody misses a start was pretty remarkable and something you just can't count on unfortunately uh meanwhile uh thanks to rick riz by the way for those of you that tuned in in the middle of that or if you didn't catch the whole conversation what have you it'll be on the podcast page after the show at seattlesports.com so check that out uh there seems to be a bit of a consensus building for what the seahawks will do in the first round of the draft we'll get into that next it's wyman and bob this is seattle sports on 710 Wyman and Bob. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Our thanks once again to Rick Riz, who joined us in the previous segment. Always good to hear his voice as we talked about. Meanwhile, getting back to what's going on with the Seahawks, the draft is going to be here before we know it. I love the mock drafts. I think I'm alone in that. I just, I just, I think people look at it passively like, yeah, so they think that? Okay. And if they have somebody targeted that they think is is in line with them, they're like, this guy knows. This this Mel Kuyper knows his business. He knows his way around the draft, tell you. What? Uh, but it, it's amazing how many different names I've seen for the Seahawks at 16. And and I guess it's – I was going to say, I guess it's because they're kind of in that random – It's not a, they're not at the bottom, they're not at the top, they're just kind of in this purgatory of, of the first round where – that's another question we probably should have asked John. And there's plenty of time before the draft, but Dave always talks about how John tells him there's really only 12 to 14 true first round picks and everybody else they consider second round. I'm sure that varies year to year, but I'm, I'd be curious to know how many he thinks are legit first rounders this year. 
and he'll tell you every single name of the guys that are. And and maybe that he doesn't come to that conclusion until the combine is done, the workouts, they go through all of that. But yeah, so the Seahawks are in a weird spot at 16. um, And depending if if you're a maniac like me looking at every last, I keep sending them to Lefko and Dave and they're probably like, all right, enough of the, of the mock drafts. I love this stuff. I, I just love seeing the difference. But the latest one I saw was from CBS sports. And this one was interesting because it was the first one that had them trading, mm-hmm. had them trading back to 20. They traded with the Steelers in this mock draft. So they trade back to 20 and they take the defensive tackle out of Illinois, Jerzon Newton. And then it says in their little description, it says Seattle traded for Leonard Williams at the deadline, but now he's slated to hit free agency. Seahawks can bring him back and devote even more resources to that defensive front with Draymond Jones, or they can infuse a bit of youth talking about him here. So, and again, some of this will depend on what they, they, you know, is it best player available? Is it, Hey, this guy is amongst the best players and he addresses some of our needs. I don't, I don't know what their philosophy is going to be. That's what we were trying to get to with John. Like, are we going to be able to tell the difference now that it's just you right. versus years past where it could have been a tug of war at times? Maybe they agreed in lockstep and there were times maybe he loves somebody and Pete loves somebody completely different. I'm, I'm going to be very interested to see how this goes. But it feels like this is – they can do some damage in the draft. They can, they can go a long way into helping shore up the needs they have on the defensive side of things, certainly. Well, I think they have to do damage in the draft and you, you have to build Nick Baumgartner told us that you have to build your whole you have to fix your holes you have to build your team through the draft now because it is so expensive in free agency mm-hmm. we haven't even talked about Leonard Williams but uh, Spotrack that is a great resource for salary cap estimations and then market value of guys they have his estimated market value at 16.5 million per year Oh, we know the Seahawks uh, are negative cap space right now so okay they have to do some things just to afford a guy in Leonard Williams who's a vital part of this defense or what was last year. So okay, if you're not going to do that, and you're not going to have a lot of space to sign free agents. Well, you better impact in the draft. So you better get a guy like this in a, a Jerzon Newton or a Jared verse or just anyone who can help this defense. And the key question that I know you guys will try to pick the brain of John about and kind of weigh in on, in on as we get closer over these next, what, nine weeks until the draft. Is there a guy like that that you could feel you could get at 20? Yeah, because it doesn't feel like they're in a spot where they have to go get someone by trading up. They're back in that purgatory, as you said, where you're really in a tough spot because there's not a knock it out of the park home run. This is a bona fide first round pick if you're Mm -hmm. sitting at 16 and you're not all the way back where you could easily trade into the second round. So you're sitting here in maybe the worst position to be in in the first round. But if they get the sense that there will be an impact player if it's a defensive tackle, if it's an edge guy at 20, I think you have to make the move because you have such limited draft capital this year. Yeah, I don't uh, – getting back to Leonard, and this is something we can talk about moving forward, but I feel like they got to resign him. You gave up a second round. really expensive, though. Yeah, I don't – it seemed like you gave up a lot to get him here only to let him walk. I mean, you didn't even get a full season, right? So he's – I don't know. That one feels like there was – there. He was brought over with some intent. Right. Like if he didn't, unless he went out there and just stunk up the joint, okay, that's different, which he didn't do. He, played, by all accounts, played really well. And he, he plays in a spot where what he does doesn't show up on the stat sheet very often. You know, he's not a guy who was rushing off the edge, who's coming up with all these sacks, but he was a problem. And by every coach we talked to and people covering the team, guy played well. Guy played well. So what I'll be interested to see what kind of urgency there is to bring him back. Because 
listen, when they brought him here, they they have a sense of the market. Like, yeah, he's probably going to be in this ballpark to bring him back, whether it's sixteen million a year, fifteen. You know, maybe that maybe they had it. You know, a ballpark between fifteen and eighteen a year or something. I I don't think this number is is shocking them. Uh, there's something that I'm going to have Matt find if we can, because I remember when he did the interview with you guys, Leonard Williams, mm-hmm. and he said something about Tyler Lockett, and it jumped out to me, and maybe I, w- I read way too far into it, but he said uh, something about the house that he had gotten from Tyler Lockett. He was my guy when I first got here. <laughs> it was just a rental, by the way. I, I remember I told people okay. I got a place out here, and some people thought I bought a house, and I'm like, I didn't think it was that permanent. <laughs> so and I go, uh-oh. Well, he wow. made a point to specifically mention it was a rental, and I didn't think it was that permanent. Well, the house isn't that permanent. Yeah, yeah. because if he had no intention of staying here, now money will change. But it's just when you read and you go into things and you think, okay, what are the odds they bring him back? Well, maybe Leonard Williams got here thinking, I'm going to set this number, mm. and I don't know if they'll be able to hit it, so I'm going to go in planning that it's only a half-season rental. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a savvy, smart guy there that understands the nature of the NFL. Like. Hey man, I'm not going to go commit to property here because I know I'm a free agent at the end of this year. And who knows how this goes? Who knows how eager they are to keep me here? Maybe I'm not eager to stay. I mean, you just, it's all unknown. So I just look at that as somebody going, yeah, here's, here's the realistic way to view this. But knowing that because maybe his agent or now they look at it saying, well, the Seahawks do not have enough cap space to sign Leonard Williams to a, if you know, we're going off Spotrack, a projected three year, $50 million deal. Mm-hmm. So approximately boiling down to close to, you know, 16 million a year, things like that. That's his market value, according to Spotrack. And they compare it to a few other guys. So Grady Jarrett, uh, and they give his average and his age when he signed. He got signed to a three-year, $50.4 million deal. Demarcus Lawrence, three-year, $40 million. And the thing you have to consider, because this happens with every free agent or every guy that needs a new contract, they want to be the highest paid of that position or along that line. So right. you're going to have to upstage Draymond Jones, who you brought in. He's the highest paid on the defensive line right now. And now you're going to say, all right, Leonard Williams wants more. Something's going to have to change. We've talked a little bit about all these big cap hits that are not feasible for the Seahawks moving forward. I do think Leonard Williams is a priority. I think that will be priority number one to re-sign him. But if they can't, that makes trading back in the first round and getting a pick in the second round Mm -hmm. where you don't have now the best option. Yeah, I just think considering what they gave up to get him, I, I... I'd be pretty stunned if they didn't at least make a pretty concerted effort to keep him here. Now, maybe he gets blown out of the water with some crazy deal where you're like, whoops, we can't match that. Who knows? We'll, we'll, we'll see how that part goes. But I just, A, I don't believe there's any surprise on their part as to what that position may require. I think they had a very clear idea when they brought him over. All right, this guy's free agent at the end of the year. We're giving up some, some significant draft capital, second round pick to get this guy here, knowing he can walk at the end of the year. So if we're to resign him, we're probably looking at somewhere in this neighborhood. I don't think any of this is a surprise to them. Do you think they have enough draft capital right now, though? And that's where I think maybe that's why they would consider trading back just a couple of spots, get an additional pick somewhere. Because in the first three rounds, they just have three picks. A round one pick, and then two picks in round three. So you'll have mm-hmm. a round one pick, then you're not picking again until 78th overall. I don't know. I mean, listen, they had a year where they only had three picks, and then we were all convinced. We're and like, it didn't go well. We're, well, it didn't go well, but it's it's more that we thought, we were absolutely convinced. Right. Texters, all of us, like, mm-hmm. there's no way they, they settle on three picks. John and Pete, they don't do that. They're going to they're gonna turn those three picks into six or seven. That's what they do. You know, and they didn't. They went with D. Eskridge, they went with Trey Brown, and they went with Stone Forsyth. 
That wasn't a stellar draft. And I think that year might have been a little bit different in terms of, hey, they didn't want to accumulate a lot of draft capital because it was so tough to scout people, as evidenced by the fact that a lot of teams missed that year and the Seahawks didn't really uh, nail it out of the park with that draft. They weren't the Titans and Isaiah Wilson, but uh, they noticed a year where they probably didn't get to the in-person that they wanted, the familiarity. So in a situation here, when we can go compare the rosters, I think you need more pieces now than you did back in 2021 where you still had Russell Wilson, you still had uh, the core of a team where you thought was closer to contending yeah. than building I'm up I'm not again. arguing with that they don't need more picks. I'm just saying, Leonard Williams, you gave up a second rounder. I don't think you did that with the intention of just letting him walk at the end of the year. That's just way too much. You weren't, he to me, you weren't, it's not like he was the difference between getting to the Super Bowl and getting just to the championship game. If you're that, and like, hey, we thought he was the difference to get us to the big game. We took a swing and missed. You weren't that team. So that for this team to make that kind of investment ca- draft capital-wise, I'd be stunned, if, again, if they didn't bring him back. That's just that's a lot to give up for a guy for part of a year. All right, coming up, some people were uh, very upset with the coverage of Taylor Swift at the Super Bowl. It's a why-man rant for the ages. Coming up next, it's Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on 710. Why, man? Why? Lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it. He's a habitual line stepper. What were you thinking? What are you doing? Why are you the way that you are? It's the Why Man of the Week. Why Man is presented by Mazda of Everett. A reminder, coming up at 4 o'clock, we'll do best of the rest. Take a listen to some of the conversations happening on other shows and respond accordingly. By the way, still soliciting uh, some suggestions as to what I should tweet from uh, Mike Salk's open Twitter account. It's got to be clean. Can't get him in trouble. Apparently, he hates Tom Hanks. How do you hate Tom Hanks? So I would just tweet, I love Tom Hanks. He's the greatest actor ever. How do you hate him? Go watch Castaway right now. I could see, you know, you going, well, I don't, I don't, I think he's overrated or I don't like him as much as everybody else does. But by all accounts, he seems like a pretty think nice guy. Who's, all the good movies he's in, too. Well, I like yeah. Tom Hanks. I don't, I, how do you hate Tom Hanks? That says more about you. That's, that's one of those, like, if you don't like John Morosi, <laughs> you're the problem. I think Salk's the problem here. I think that's what we're getting at. But uh, yeah, he left his Twitter account open, as, as uh, some do sometimes. And, I don't know. It's just very tempting. It's calling my name. It's saying, tweet something, tweet something. So we'll, we'll see if we do that. But uh, let's get to why, man. And, and uh, we got a couple of good ones. Now, I haven't heard this, so I'm, I'm, I'm a little interested to hear this. But apparently, Chris Mad Dog Russo is uh, very agitated about how much Taylor Swift was shown during the Super Bowl. This past week, she was on the quote-unquote, it was an overtime game, for 55 seconds. All right. Doesn't sound that bad. Yeah. They went to that box 12 times! 12 times! Yeah, he only caught one ball in the first half! I'm not interested! They couldn't pick out Len Dawson out of a lineup for crying out loud! You think they know who Curly Coat was? I mean, 10, 12 times! 12 times! He had one catch in the first half! I mean, on defense, closing her finger! Oh my! And listen, I understand she's a huge, huge I swear to God, I love the relationship. On the field, it's legit and everything else. But it's a football game. That's what it is. It is a football game. And every and you know why? Now you know why fans get annoyed in Buffalo and Baltimore. They think it's a conspiracy. Well, they want the 
Chiefs to win, so he gets all the calls because they want to capitalize on Taylor Swift. Now, that's a nonsensical thought, but fans think that way. Twelve times? That's three, four times a quarter for crying out loud. And they trail three-fifths of the game. Is he spitting all over the place? What the hell's the matter with the Can't guy? Can't even control himself. I love the relationship, by the way. Ugh. It's so dumb. So they they showed her 12 times. I wish they would have shown her 50 times. I learned how many times they showed her. I guess that's the only thing I learned from that. For rant. a total of 55 seconds. Right. How do you recover? 55 seconds of looking at her as opposed to a shirtless, hairy man dumping beer down his gullet? Why are you that's still your talking preference? about <laughs> yeah. Oh, look at that. It's a mean text day. Yeah. It's all good fun. <laughs> mean shot. I the, the outrage over Taylor Swift to me is one of the more confusing things. I don't think you need to be a fan of her. I again we went through this. I knew you told me shake it off. I've I've heard that that title before. That's where it ends. I don't I don't know another title. I couldn't tell you anything about her music. So you're I know, in a blank space when it comes to thinking nah, of titles. I don't I don't I, I remember her as a country artist when she first came out. I know she's the biggest artist in the world, setting all kinds of records. It, it makes sense why they would show her if she were, you know, if that were Usher, if Usher were the biggest artist in the world, set all the records she just did. And he was showing up at all these games for some reason. I guarantee they're showing him, too. Who cares? Who cares? I don't. It, it is so inconsequential. You don't miss a second of the game. What, what are you worried about? What are you what are you raging? What are people raging about? Especially in the Super Bowl. It's bigger than just the game. It is a <sighs> global event. So, yeah, it's part of the story of the game. It's part of the story of the season yeah. to show those reactions. I could see if they were cutting to her and then they're like, oh, man, we missed the beginning. We missed the <laughs> right. snap or something. Then I'm on board. I'm with you. Like I you miss a touchdown. Yeah. You, if, you're, if you're missing something you would otherwise be right. seeing that's that's crucial to the game, to the your game watching experience, and they're they're doing this instead in lieu of that, then I'm on board with you. Sign me up. But if it's a cutaway to a crowd where it's usually a kid eating a snow cone or it's, a, again, a guy without his shirt and he's got his the logo painted on his chest or whatever the hell they normally cut to, I don't even pay attention. It's kind of like the announcers. I'm kind of like, all right, once the play starts, I'm tuned in. And then in between, I'm whatever. I, it's, it's so inconsequential. It is much ado about nothing. And that is a wild, wild understatement. It is just the fact that people got that worked up about it Every time they showed her brought me joy. And I was like, do it again. Do it again. And show if, her again. The fact that he devoted so much time on their segment, on first take, where I know they go over the top. He was spitting at the end of that Yeah, thing. he couldn't <laughs> you know, he couldn't control himself. And that was that was not even the entire rant. I cut uh, it down to a little bit more of a serious? manageable. And he didn't go on much longer because he was interrupted and they went into a conversation. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, that's to get that worked up over what Russo even said at the start, just 55 seconds. You really, gotta, you really got to get yourself into a lather. They showed her 12 times. That's why the people in Baltimore feel that way about you. I don't know what could get me that mad about something so inconsequential. He's not that mad. It's manufactured. It's nonsense. But there are some people. I see, You see them on social media. Yeah. Oh, that's it. I'm not watching this anymore. Good. Don't. Don't. Nobody will miss you. You know who won't miss you? The NFL. They just continue to grow and grow and grow. So there's always somebody there to take that spot, and they've got their friends, and it'll just keep it'll just keep perpetuating that way. It's just I don't. The outrage is so dumb. To go along with our theme, real quick, uh, two hundred six said, Bob. I think Salk in quotes should tweet out, "I'm completely on board with Mad Dog Russo's comments about Taylor Swift." <laughs> Should that be the tweet? They yeah. show her one more time. That's it. I'm boycotting the NFL. Sign Mike Salk. Yeah. <laughs>
So many, so many avenues we could take with this. Oh, oh, it's just, it's too tempting. All right. This one is uh, entry number two comes courtesy of Brock here. Uh, Brock tries to get Wyman in trouble after Mike McDonald explains how he met his wife. Did we hear this one before? Have I not? Yeah, it, seems... I, it was during the interview. I played it during a sweeping, but. All right. Let's we'll take a listen to Brock trying to. Brock is the ultimate instigator. He gets such a kick out of getting a rise out of somebody or if he can create a little bit of a rift between two people, get him to have a little tension. He feels like, yeah, I won. I won. But here he is trying to get Wyman in trouble. Yeah, she's awesome. So we met in Baltimore. Uh, she was cheering for the Ravens at the time. So we Baltimore rules. You can't date cheerleaders. It's coach or whatever. But that, that was more on her side. So we, we, uh, yeah. What's that, Brock? Oh, uh, we got an afternoon host who did the same thing as a player there for the Seahawks. <laughs> so he's going to love that story. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Snitch. What a snitch. What's he doing? Thinks he's, thinks he's uh, being cute there. Did you hear that? Uh-huh. Plus, he interrupted <laughs> his good story. I mean, this is going to be a nice, heartwarming story from Mike McDonald. And then Brock just tried to get Wyman in trouble. Yeah, he was, he was, hoping, he was hoping McDonald would follow up on that and go, yeah. whoa, what happened? So then he could really yes. go into detail. Yeah, all right. There you go. There you go, Brock. We see who you are. We see who you really are. All right. Coming up, uh, there's a bold roster building path the Seahawks might have to take. We're going to get into that with best of the rest. Coming your way next with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on 710.